Hello guys, welcome back to Daily Devo with Sarah. It's your host Sarah. Thank you guys for tuning in and joining me again on our quest for wisdom together on this beautiful Monday. I hope that you guys had a beautiful weekend and you're ready to conquer it this week. It's February on Wednesday, so we are entering into, you know, yet another month and, you know, let's just say that you did not meet your New Year's goals this month of January, then rather than being encouraged, I mean discouraged, why don't you hype yourself up for this new month where you can practice all over again on reaching that goal? Why don't you just use January as a practice month to have kind of gotten your feet wet with your goals or just to kind of settle in mentally to the new year and then, you know, let February be your month, you know? So that's how I'm trying to think, at least in terms of my goals. I feel like I met most of them, but the one that I'm focused on is doing this Devo every day because it does take like, you know, sacrifice when I, especially like on the days when I'm tired and I got like four hours of sleep the night before, cough, cough last week, like five times. <laughs> um, I was so tempted to skip. But I did not. I told myself, Sarah, even if you're going to sound like a man, because that's what happens when you run low on sleep and maybe even the quality of your content might be compromised. Like, why don't you just for the consistency sake, just do it and then just see what happens. Right. And I'm glad I pushed through. (laughs) Um, And it just at least helps me get into like the groove and the rhythm of this you know, personal project that I took on for myself. So, you know, whatever your goals are for you, whether you've done like an okay job in the month of January and you want to get better or like you didn't really meet them and you want to start again, like just whatever it is, like go into this new month with a positive attitude and hype yourself up all over again, right? It's all in your attitude. Anyway, with that aside, the title of today's episode is The Safety, and the verses that we're going off of are from Proverbs 8, verses 12 to 13. It says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. So again, I've mentioned this before, the whole context of Proverbs is King Solomon, the wisest person who has ever lived on earth, uh, speaking to his son, writing to his son. And he was the king of Israel at the time when Israel was very much of a thriving um, country, nation. And yeah, he had a lot to say, of course, about wisdom. And here's um, here are the gems that he's giving us today. I want to lean into the verse where it says to fear the Lord is to hate evil because I mean, I'm already focusing on the fact that the fear of the Lord, this concept has come up in our episodes like three times and repetition means something, you know what I mean? And especially in the context of wisdom, this must be that important. So let's recap what fear of the Lord means because in the typical, definition of fear it has more than a negative connotation than not right but then in the biblical context when the fear is directed towards god it is actually a healthy phenomenon because the fear actually could be replaceable for the word revere or stand in awe or amazement of and because god deserves glory and honor and reverence when this quote-unquote fear is directed towards him that is very much like the right situation that's how it's supposed to be so what does the following verse say 
it says to fear the Lord is to hate evil. So in another way to paraphrase that it's to revere God and honor God and glorify him means that you hate evil. Now, that makes sense because as God-fearing followers, we should hate what he hates as much as we should seek to love what he loves, right? It wouldn't make sense for you to love and respect somebody and, you know, like love and hate completely different things. And especially because we are calling ourselves not just fans, but like actual followers of God, like we are called to adopt the same kind of attitude about things in life in regard to whether we like things or hate things. And what are we called to hate in this case? Evil. Despite the fact that, you know, hate is a strong word. Like I don't let my kids use it in school. It's actually funny because whenever they use the word hate, I tell them that like those aren't manner words and I tell them to say I don't prefer and it's so funny because (laughs) let's say that I'm like bringing them muffins and they don't like it because it's blueberry flavor they'll be like I hate blueberry (laughs) I'll tell them to be like I don't prefer blueberry muffin and honestly it's like the cutest thing ever (laughs) but anyway with that aside the verse here lists examples of what evil is in the context of the bible such as pride arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. And even in those categories, we can break down so many examples, but let's just keep those categories in mind as we go forward. Um, At least in terms of perverse speech, I guess an example to break it down even further would be like jokes that people make um, that have like sexual innuendos, because I'm just thinking about how anything regarding sex has become so casual in this generation. And, you know, like, I have definitely like participated in making jokes like this. And, you know, responding to jokes like this and finding funny jokes or any sort of like, you know, like memes that go around stuff like that. Um, But because, you know, they could be funny, they're, they could be sometimes tasteful. But then I guess, our attitude should really be like god does not like that what would god think you know how we used to like when we were in youth group wear those bracelets around that said wwjd for what would jesus do but i don't know like i actually don't know um what jesus would have done because he lived in such a different time than we do so what i actually asked myself is wwgt which is what would God think? And I find better answers to that. So you guys should try it. But anyway, like in that context, you know, if I'm asking myself WWGT, then I would think like God would not be pleased. And not just because sex is bad. I don't think it's bad. I just think we um, abused it, you know, by treating it so casually and having so many sins in this world be produced because of that but i think from god's perspective based on what is mentioned in the bible like god would not be happy with the fact that we are making light of sex what god has created to be sacred and holy and honorable and make turning it into something distasteful and trashing it trashing the beauty of what he created sex to be you know so no, it's not like I would think, oh, just because there are like sexual like references in conversations that could be inappropriate, like going around, like I could be okay with that. But if I really think 
in depth in like deeply about how God would perceive the situation, then I need to hate that kind of a situation. You know, I don't need to like, you know, let's say like there is a group conversation on this. Like, I don't need to be the one to like raise my hand and be like, this is wrong, everybody. This does not honor God. But that doesn't mean I have to participate either, you know, um, and enjoy it per se. So yeah, there's that. And I guess in terms of evil behavior, I mean, that could be so, that could cover so many things. So, you know, let's just get into the input <laughs> and then just see what else we get. So it says, to be wise is to have prudence and discretion that brings success. Then verse 13 speaks of ha um, hating, arrogance, and pride. We must never divide verse 12 from 13. Why? David A. Hubbard notes that arrogance and conceit are faults to which shrewd and clever persons are especially prone with which sorry without awe and wonder fear before god success can be usually um can and usually does lead to a sense of superiority and hubris i forgot what hubris means shoot <laughs> um but anyway you know that line where it says success can and usually does lead to a sense of superior and hubris it reminds me of like these comments that my mom would make to me like when i was in college she like whenever we would get into arguments and like i start making more sense than her or like my argument starts making you know it's just like more logical and stuff she would throw in this comment that would make me livid which is oh like you're a learned person now in college you're educated now so is that what you is that how you treat your mom and i'm like um mom like you're the one with the phd i'm only at masters like you're the learned one here <laughs> anyway uh then the spiral begins pride moves you toward foolishness such as overconfidence in your intuition which ultimately results in bad decisions and downfall moral character is to success as the safety is to a gun it keeps you from shooting yourself with it True wisdom is canny and resourceful, writes Kittner, and that is the reason that only being rooted in the fear of the Lord can make it free from the faults of worldly wisdom. Don't miss the fact that the word hate is used twice and the second time it is spoken by wisdom. What is repugnant to godliness is repugnant to wisdom. There is no conflict of interest. So you guys, where it says true wisdom is canny and resourceful, and that the reason that only being rooted in the fear of the Lord can make you free from the faults of worldly wisdom makes us ask ourselves, okay, then like, what can we do to make ourselves rooted in the fear of the Lord? What can we do to make sure that we live our lives um, revering God and honoring him? Now, of course, if you're not a Christian, then this is not a question you're going to find yourself pondering because it carries no relevance to you. You know, what business do you have in revering God when you don't even like fully believe him? That doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? But I guess if we are self-proclaiming Christians who say we believe in God, then we need to take this into consideration and deep thought and like before we start tomorrow again like identify for ourselves what it is that we can do or what are we already doing <clears throat> to demonstrate to ourselves and to god and the world that we fear him
I suppose some of the examples that were mentioned in the verses for today can give us a starting point. Like if you find yourself prideful and arrogant, then what can you do to lessen that and become more humble? If you felt convicted about evil behavior, what is it you engage in? Um, And I feel like for most of us Christians, we are not like morally depraved when it comes to like really practical things. We're not going around murdering people. We're not going around raping people. We're not going around stealing and doing things like that. But what are some subtle things that we do that, you know, like we can kind of hide that we can't really be called out on? but you know that they don't please God. You know, you know that when you were to ask, if you were to ask yourself WWGT, God wouldn't necessarily be smiling up there. You know what I mean? I mean, for me, an evil, quote unquote evil, or maybe I should leave out the quotations, evil behavior that I engage in is the way that I talk to my parents. It's not usually respectful and it's heartbreaking genuinely for me every time because truly deeply in my heart i want to honor them and i know that when i am physically with them i just am i don't know like i guess i'm still in trauma like of all with memories of all the things that i'm traumatized by from the past and therefore like i get on this like defense mode and it's hard for me to smile with them. It's hard for me to laugh with them. It's hard for me to be myself and share everything that I want to. And, you know, like just be my happy self. And instead, what comes out is just evil words. You know, I, I don't necessarily mean curse words, but, you know, the tone with which I speak and the manner with which I carry myself in front of them, it's not nice. It's simply not. And, I get torn all the time like wow like right before I see them face to face I'm excited to reconvene with my parents and talk with them spend time but then the second we meet each other and we start having conversations or the conversations start getting a little bit deeper you know into more like touchy personal areas of our lives then like you know, I just become a different person and I don't show reverence. Like if I were to look at myself and my behavior towards my parent from a third party point of view, then by no means, like you would, you would not think that, wow, Sarah's an honorable Christian who loves her parents and honors her parents. There's no way you would think that. And that is a part that part of myself that like I am owning because I want to take responsibility for that. And there's, you know, no need for me to lie about it. And it is something that I'm really working on. You know, I guess you can make a case for me saying, you know, like my parents also like trigger certain behavior and certain words out of me from all of our relationship, you know, our past, you know, but then, you know, like even when God says in the Bible, like honor your parents, um, one of the 10 commandments, right from Exodus, like, it's not like he made exceptions for me, you know, he didn't say honor your parents only if they were the best parents you could have asked for, you know, only if they never made any mistake with you, 
only if they never made you feel bad, right? God is very clear. There are no conditions. You are to honor and respect your parents. And so when I do not carry that out in God's eyes, that might not be necessarily like evil in the sense of like maybe committing like a deep sin, but then it is not an honorable behavior by any means. And for me, that is choosing my own pride over obeying God's command. Oh, but you guys, this is really complicated. <laughs> if you guys, you know, have like rough patches in your relationship with your parents too, then you know what I mean. Like as much as you want to execute that um, in your life of honoring your parents and pleasing God through that behavior, it's so tough. It's so tough. It's so messy and complicated. It's not like, oh, and you know, having conflict with your friends. Like I don't really care that much about like conflicts with my friends because they're my friends they're not my blood as much as I value them in my life but I think when it comes to family especially parents like your expectations and standards for them are that much more like skyrocketingly high I don't think that's a word but like you know it's very high very different and because you guys know each other inside and, and out like there's so much more just more <laughs> involved um but yeah i mean i guess like that's what like i'm feeling like convicted of at the moment in terms of like what can i do to be rooted in the fear of god maybe it is to just put that aside my negative feelings and my pain and my pride and just honor them the best that i can even if they come at me with fiery words I could stay calm and be the bigger person. I think that all the time, though, you know, and it's just it's never successful. <laughs> I'm going to humbly admit that. Ugh. Anyway, what is the case for you guys? What do you need to do to be rooted in the fear of the Lord? Um, all right. But the actual question that we're being asked today is if you have been enjoying any success, have you been secretly taking credit for it? Are you seeing it as a gift of God, as the gift of God that it is? Um, so feel free to pause and think about this question for yourself. I'll read it again. If you have been enjoying any success, so I suppose in your jobs, in your relationships, in your like personal goals, have you been secretly taking credit for it? I'm going to assume that means like when you, you know, ruminate on your successes, you're kind of subconsciously telling yourself, oh, like you know, Grace, you did it. Oh, Hannah, you did it. You know, um, are you seeing it as the gift of God that it is? Um, I guess for me, in a way, yes. Because, all right. Mm. So my life <laughs> was hell growing up when I was a child and no one thinks so. And People who see me now, meet me now for the first time would never think that I had the hell of a childhood that I claim to have. And I'm not going to downplay it. Like when I say that my childhood was bad, it really was. Um, so because even in the midst of what I was going through, all the emotional turmoil that I was in for like over a decade in my life, like, you know, when I was little, um, be in the midst of all of that, because I showed up to school, to the world, smiling every day and 
learned that it's safer for me to appear happier than I truly was on the inside because I was aware of the social stigma of people for who are, you know, for people who are sad. Like, you know, no one knows about the nights I cried myself to sleep. Like no one knows about the times that I drowned myself in metal with metal music because I found comfort in the words and all the screaming that happened in the songs, you know, like, and with all of that, in the midst of that, I worked so hard in school. I woke up every day, said hello to all my teachers. You know, I worked my butt off to get into honors classes, AP classes, do tennis, do track, do band, do choir, volunteer and build my resume to get into the college of my choice and make something out of myself one day, you know? So yeah, like for having accomplished everything that I did, um, I am very tempted to take the credit for the quote unquote success that I have, you know, and I say in quotes because success is subjective, you know, everybody defines it differently. But I guess in terms of like my academic and my educational history, I want to take full credit for myself because I really did work so hard, (laughs) sacrifice my health, sacrifice my social life, sacrifice my own pain. I just dismissed everything all my emotions shoved that like in a cave somewhere. And I was like, I'm just going to grind every single day until I make it. And I realized that grinding never stops, you know, like you get to college of your choice. And then does it stop there? No, because you got to get a job. And then you got to like thrive in that department. And then like, when you get a job, and you're doing well, then you got to do XYZ things, you know. Um, But yeah, like I said before, in my previous episode, like, I'm not to take credit for any of that because as much as, you know, I talked about God's provisions in terms of finances, he's also responsible for providing me with the energy and the will to get up and do everything that I did. You know, I did not want to wake up in the morning to go to school where I didn't have friends, where I knew I was just going to be, you know, faced with tasks, going to classes, learning stuff that like, I don't care about. I'm so bad at like math and science, for example. I know, like I just break all the Asian stereotypes with how I did in school. Believe me, (laughs) Um, not the art person either. Um, Anyway, I cannot take any credit because God is the one who supplied me with the energy and the motivation and the will to get up, go to school and just function. Honestly, just function. I could have gone down a different path if God did not hold me intact, you know? And so for me, like I'm at a point right now of thanking God for allowing me to have endured everything that I did and not go into a different direction because as much as I want to take all the credit and say, Sarah, like you were the one who made yourself emotionally resilient and strong, like that strength and resilience could not have been a reality in my life if it wasn't for God supplying me from within with the motivation to even like hold on to any dose of strength and resilience. So I want to challenge you guys to think about that for yourself as well. Whatever your success is, whether it is in the financial department, whether it is in your relationship department, or just any sort of 
personal goals that you guys set up for yourself, if you have been taking the credit, then why don't you peel back the layers a little bit and see like, okay, like what steps, how did God provide me, you know, these steps along the way to get to where I am now and use that time to genuinely like thank him. And maybe this is exactly the reflective exercise that is going to center your heart back on glorifying God through the successes that have happened in your life. And this is going to be perhaps what draws you closer to fearing him, which is what? Revering him and honoring him. And how you can do that is giving him the credit for what he has done, right? All your successes are God's manifestation of his glory in your life. All right, so the prayer for today is, Lord, my heart fears that if I am kind rather than ruthless, I will not be successful. But I see what your word says, that humble goodness is the most practical in the end because it walks in the same path that Jesus did, who triumphed through service and love. Amen. And all right, so this might be perhaps confusing to some of us. When we think about success in Jesus's life, you might have to just take a step back and reflect on Jesus's life. Okay, so let's recount his life on earth. So he was born on in a manger on a with the farm animals probably smelled like you know in there and then i mean i don't know the socioeconomic status of his family but i don't think they were the richest people i think he much very much had like a chill normal life and then what his job was a carpenter so that's what he did until he was 30 and that's when he began his ministry where he yes like intentionally chose these 12 disciples of his to train and teach about god and himself and so that they would become later apostles right and then during that time as well he was going around preaching the word of god and um giving them like messages on how to honor god and not only that like how to be saved right that was his main message and healing people helping people hurt you know encouraging hurting people right and then for what glory because three years later he is executed um with the most torturous form of death uh, crucifixion and resurrects three days later, goes to heaven. So you look at those 33 years of his life on earth. Are you going to define that as success? Because we do have to consider if we are going to live a successful life like Jesus did, then check in with ourselves. Do we even see Jesus's life as successful? Because I'm going to guess most of us are going to say no, Christians or not, right? Just like objectively looking at it and considering like how we usually define success in this day and age. So yeah, we're in the prayer, it says, but I see what your word says that humble goodness is the most most practical in the end because it walks in the same path as Jesus did, who triumphed through service and love. Like we do need to check in with ourselves like right now and ask ourselves, okay, Chris, how do you see success is it the american dream it probably is if we're living in america 
you know i mean the whole world is shooting for it so you know like are you not you probably also are you know like you are shaped your desires are mimetic so you're going to desire what other people desire and so you know if that is the case like no need to like shame yourself for it right now but you should have that straight for yourself so at least you're living you know conscious of how you do so if your version of success is not honoring god and obeying him like jesus did and bringing people to the lord and saving their lives then maybe when we get up to heaven if we make it there and we come before god and he asks us you know i don't know if he will but like let's say he asks us like what have you done to be successful in life and all we say is um you know we made money i made money to provide for myself i shared some of that with my family and friends and i had fun i mean just like comparing that kind of success with what god sees as success you know as an example being jesus's life then that's going to create some sort of a dissonance and that should create in us some kind of discomfort you know and as christians that is like if you're not a christian you know this doesn't really relate to you but i mean i'm thinking about for myself as well because my version of success absolutely has been shaped by what the world sees as success more money more freedom more time more relationships more xyz and not necessarily is god in the picture you know and honestly it's sad but even when i have you know conversations with my fellow christian brothers and sisters when we compliment each other and praise each other on how we're doing in life um honestly at least like the ones that i've had i have rarely seen anyone like give me credit for success when it comes to like the friends that i've evangelized and the efforts that i put in to serve the church i mean i'll hear that in the church because it's just like the you know salient context but outside of that not really and it's really revelatory as to even christians how we define success and just look at the life of jesus <laughs> it is it does not look like success although in god's kingdom absolutely it is and so you guys like when we are trying to like seek wisdom and fear him and we're trying to you know shape our lives so that our values align with the our version of success then we have to make the effort to make them align and make them consistent so what is your you know point of action for you your point of prayer when you go before god today and ask him like god how can i show that i fear you that i revere you through the way that i define success for my life and let see what happens when you have that conversation with god literally throw out that question journal about it and if your heart posture is in the right place then in god's own special way he's going to reveal that to you he's going to put thoughts in your mind and you might think that those thoughts are coming from you trust me like i <laughs> get confused with that all the time like is this like me thinking or god like speaking to me in my thoughts but you know even with that the more you practice the more you're able to discern okay this is from me this is from god and so you know like with that aside like try to have that conversation with god because i think we need to i think it's an important conversation so much of our definition of success is shaped and manipulated by our surrounding our culture and 
for the most part, they are not aligned with what God sees as, as success. And our audience of success is not ourselves or other people. It is God, right? We live this life with audience of one and that person is God. So this is kind of like a whole reorientation of how you think about this really big concept and lifestyle of success. But in this success-obsessed world and success-obsessed generation, it is seemingly critical for us to determine how is it that we see success in our lives because all of our desires and goals are going to be shaped around our definition of success. Is it God-centered or is it not? Because it's definitely one or the other. And you could, in a way, argue that it is a little bit of both, you know, maybe not everything has to be so black and white, you know, but then I think you would know, like, which one is more of a priority. And, you know, it's not like wanting to pursue your financial goals and your personal goals are sinful by no means believe me i have my own set of financial and personal goals for myself but ultimately you know for yourself in your heart like what is at the center of your priority and that should not be money that should not be you right because as a christian the king of your life is jesus and the way that you define and pursue success should reflect that. So I'm going to cut it here today and I will check in with you guys tomorrow. Have a beautiful rest of your Monday. Bye.